0: So we're going we're gonna to be in John chapter 17, verse 6, and verse 20 today. Uh, the, the title of the sermon is God Gives, Jesus Keeps. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read John chapter 17, verse 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you use your phone, now would be the appropriate time to get that phone out. And uh, John chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll launch in to the sermon. Father, we thank you for this time. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we could see you more clearly, God, so we can worship you more fully. God, we want to know you more through your word today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, we've been spending time in John chapter 17 and Jesus has had a very, very busy day. So, uh, have you had a busy day before? Um, You know... You know, if you call your spouse or an intimate friend or someone in your family, you kind of, you want to set the tone in the conversation uh, by learning what's going on on the other side of that call. And so this happens with me often. Ashley, my wife, has very busy days. We have a few kids she takes care of, lots of traveling this way and that way. And, and often I'll, I'll, I'll call and, and I, if I'm feeling light and my day is going light, it's like, hey, mama. That's how I start the conversation. And then I, I just did this a couple of days ago, and there was a pause. And I, I really was like, I didn't know if she had disconnected, but then she jumps in, hey. And you know, oh, you're busy. It's a busy day. Got kids, and I was like, hey, what's going on? Oh, Maisie this and Nellie that, and there's things going on, and so I need to kind of be aware of, What's going on in her world? And then sometimes she'll call me and, and she needs to be aware. I'm like, hey. Like, I'll answer the phone. Hey. And she's like, oh, you need me to call back, huh? Like that kind of that thing. Well, Jesus, in John chapter 17, is in the middle of a packed day. Very busy. This moment, John chapter 17, verse 6 and verse 20, is sandwiched between Two very, very prominent moments in his life that we are probably more familiar with how his day was going and how it ended up going. But this chapter 17, this prayer is inserted between. And just before it, he's with his disciples. And with his disciples, he is washing their feet, showing them this is This is how I have come to serve, and and you, like me, should serve others. And then he institutes the Lord's Supper. If If you're a part of a Catholic background or grew up Catholic, the Eucharist. And so just earlier on in this day, he institutes with the disciples the body and the bread communion. And then they leave that place, and it's a, it's a heavy, heavy place, because in the middle of that moment, he released one of his disciples named Judas to go and do what you have to do. And so the 12 disciples that were following him turned into 11. And then he does a little teaching, and then he prays. And then shortly after the prayer, he is delivered to be crucified. So this isn't just a random, like, no big deal moment prayer. This is in between some heavy, heavy things—a very packed day—and on the other side of this prayer, this is this is almost—it's not a final prayer, but it, it seems to be an apex prayer from Christ. And and he knew what was coming on the other side. I mean, if you knew that your life was about to end, what would you say? What kind of things? would you pray? You would pray to God and you would pray for whom? About what? And we get a sneak peek into Jesus's apex high priestly prayer before the crucifixion. Man, those are the moments you kind of want to lean in on, right? If you know someone is going to Pass away soon in your life that you love and you care for. I mean, can you imagine the disciples? And they didn't know precisely how this whole thing was going to unfold. But there were hints all along the way. you got to imagine these words are recorded because these disciples heard the words. And they probably meant something to the disciples who heard them. Right? So this is in Holy Week. This is Thursday before Good Friday. It's a big day, y'all. Big day, big prayer. So before we tell the story of John 17, 6 and 20, let's tell another story. Do you know any friends or family who can't just tell you the story they want to tell you? They always have to tell you the story before the story and you think they're done and they're just getting started. Well, we're just going to get started with another story. But the the story happens in John chapter 18 that I think creates some really good context to know where these disciples just came from where Christ just came from. So turn with me, John chapter 18, verse 1. And I think that's in your notes as well, if you want to follow along there. On the second page. And you'll notice on the first page, I gave kind of the six bullets that we're going to go through. But before we go through those six bullets, one at a time, I wanted to share John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words had he just spoken? He just he spoke the words that we're about to spend our time in, in John chapter 17, verse 6 and verse 20. But right after he spoke those words, he went out with his disciples abro- across the book, brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. This is an interesting moment because... In the very beginning of the Bible, we find in Genesis, it was also in a garden. And in that garden, there was a great deceiver, there was a betrayer, there was a trickster, there was a thief. He's the great serpent, the great dragon, God's enemy, Satan. And Christ comes, and in John chapter 18, he enters a garden, and once again, there's a betrayer, there's a trickster, there's a deceiver who is in that garden. But in Genesis, in the early part of the Bible, we find that it began going downhill in that garden, but here, there is a kind of a reclamation of what God is doing. And things are not going down, though they look they are like they are, but things are about to go up. Because God didn't allow what happened in the Garden of Eden to be the final garden. But Christ comes and he's now in the garden with another betrayer. And man, if you know the scripture, you got to imagine like us, we're looking at this saying this could go one of two ways. Because we know what, last, what happened last time in a garden with a trickster. But Christ is different than Adam, isn't he? And so, verse 3. So Judas, he is the deceiver. He is the disciple, by the way, if you're not familiar with the name Judas, he is the disciple that Jesus dismissed to go and do what you need to do. So just a few short hours later, Judas shows back up. Having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine being one of the disciples who was just with Jesus just a few short hours ago and washing feet and having communion? He dismisses Judas to go do what he had to do. And then just he comes upon a prayer in John chapter 17, 6. They listen in on his prayer. And then all of a sudden Judas shows back up with swords and lanterns and weapons. And the disciples are behind Jesus, of course, because Jesus steps up and says, who are you looking for? Well, we're looking for Jesus. And you know, in the beginning, Adam in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve both, they cast off responsibility. If you're familiar with the story, they looked around to blame other people. But I'm grateful to know that when Christ was confronted, he accepted, he said, I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. While all these men stood behind him and thinking to themselves that Judas, our brother, is here to betray him and arrest him with these men, with all of these weapons. What, what is going on here? Jesus steps up and says, I am he. So he asked them again in verse 7, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This is an important moment. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Okay, so again, remember the context. John chapter 17 verse 6. I've manifested your name to these people. You have given these people to me. And then we see later on When these men were confronted with danger, Jesus is stepping up. I'm just trying to get into the story with you guys. He's stepping up and he is following through that not one of these will be lost. All of these men, God, that you gave me, they will be protected. They will be cared for. So we get a glimpse here in this moment in John chapter 18 into a relationship kind of agreement that had happened between the father and the son. And, and in John chapter 17 verse 12, don't turn there, but just to kind of remind you about what the disciples had heard previously about Christ keeping these men. It says in 17:12, his prayer, God, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Imagine in the moment when he's guarding these men and saying, I'm the guy. Let these men go. They had just heard him pray. I have guarded them. You familiar with the movie Titanic? I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go as she lets go. (laughs) And as he sinks into the great abyss, I'll never let go, Jack. Aren't you glad that Christ keeps his word? So that's, that's a very different moment because these men have now seen Christ say, God, I will keep them. I, you have given to them to me. I have guarded them. I'll never let go. And you know what he does? He doesn't let go. There's got to be some confidence that's building up in these men in this moment. Even though it's not looking good, they're seeing some things connect. And so I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. you know who that was? Go and do what you need to do. They hear him pray. I've guarded all of them except one. Who is now betraying all of us. Man, this moment's real. This prayer is really important. Gives you a glimpse into God's relationship with his son Christ. And the integrity that Christ had to keep the things that God had given him. So verse John chapter 6, 39. Just another supporting text. Remember these disciples are aware of this. And this, this is Jesus again. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. They've heard him multiple times. Talk about God giving Things to him and him committing to keep those things. John chapter 10, verse 27 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, guards included, Judas included, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Man, they're hearing these things from way back before these moments. And they're putting things together. At least as I see scripture, they probably are becoming more aware. No one can snatch from Christ what God has given him. I'm the guy. Let these men go. So we'll keep on reading in chapter 18. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? One more very important piece before we jump back into the verse verse 6. Not only was Jesus guarding the men that God had given him, save the one, Judas, so that prophecy would be fulfilled, that there would be one who would be a betrayer. Not only that, but in addition to that, when confronted with the means by which God intended to redeem humanity, which was through the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of his son, when confronted with that, and his disciples now, they come around, right? Jesus let these men go. One of them gets his guts up, grabs his, his sword, goes for the head, but just gets the ear. Real Evander Holyfield Mike Tyson-like in this moment. He gets the ear, and then he backs him up and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you think I should follow through with the path that God has given me? God gives, and I keep. What it is that God intends to happen, I am the one who fulfills it. So whether it's men, or whether it's the cross, and everything in between, what God the Father gives to the Son, the Son holds tightly and keeps, both With you and I, potentially, as people, as we see in the story, though it was referencing these men, but also with the path of difficulty, of suffering, and ultimately redemption. He refuses to go a shortcut. He refuses to go another way. He refuses to let this go and maybe pick up an alternative way. This is Jesus. And now let's go back to verse 6 in chapter 17, and we'll just run through this verse. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. So the first point is Jesus says that he has revealed God manifested. Another way to say manifested is that he has revealed God. A good question to ask is how did he reveal God? What about God did he reveal? This is an important prayer. And he's talking to God saying I have revealed you to them. What has he revealed how has he revealed? So we can look and see in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. I want to point out, Jesus himself is revealing God by his presence. Jesus himself is revealing God. He is the image Of the invisible God. Who is God and how far away is He? You don't have to look far and you don't have to ask too many questions. There are four accounts of the life of Christ Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those accounts depict who Christ is from beginning to end. Who is God? Pick up the Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see who God is. Now, there's way more to see in the Bible, but if you are far from God and you are curious who he is and you are wondering about the Christian faith, very simply pick up the Bible and read the texts about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, and here it is, and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is precisely what you can expect God to be. Who God is. What is he like? The exact imprint. You don't have to be curious about who God is. He has given us his word, which tells us who he is. And lastly, John chapter 14, Jesus' words, uh, verse 8, Philip said to him, that's one of his disciples... Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So these are the disciples that are following Jesus, and they're asking for not just Jesus, they're asking for more. We want to see who God is, Jesus, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I just, just want to remind you, when he says, God, I have revealed to them who you are, you know what he did? He showed up in person. That's how he revealed to the disciples who he is. Consider a few stories from, from Scripture. He comes as a human. We can touch him, we can see him, we can tell stories about him in ways that are tangible, material, and embodied. This is not some aloof, distant being who maybe karma will figure out that will come back and who knows how and if and why. But maybe, no, 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 we have stories, touchable, tangible, with words, voices, body. I mean, this is who God is. What grace that he comes to us in that way. What does that tell us about God? That he would come in the form like us. He comes as a baby in weakness and vulnerability. What does it say about a God who comes in weakness and in vulnerability? If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Jesus corralled his executives and board members. And they are fishermen, despised tax collectors, a political anarchist, and a thief, just to name a few. What does it tell you about a God who, when coming to earth and collects a group of men to be his constituents, who will one day pass on the word of truth that he gathers this sort of men? Wouldn't you go after the elite? Wouldn't you go after the ones who have influence, who have money, who have it all together? What sort of God has been revealed through the choosing of the twelve disciples, the type of men that he chose, and that he stayed with them that long? This reveals to us the type of God we serve. He is close to the lowly. Women and children followed him. They sought him out. He wasn't prestigious in a way that would make those of that society at that time who should bow and back away. He wasn't the sort of man that made them feel like they knew their place in society, but rather he was the sort of man who drew those people in. What sort of God is he? Thousands of people would seek out his teaching. They would follow him for stretches of walks. And then he would teach them. And then he would recognize that they were hungry. And that they were thirsty. And he wasn't satisfied to just give them God's word. But in addition to that, he looked at his disciples, those same men, and said, They're hungry and they're thirsty. Feed them. What sort of God takes the time, not just preaching the gospel to them of his good news, but also to care For their physical needs. I have revealed you to them God. These men. This was special. This is a special God that has been revealed through the life of Christ. He spoke about sadness, forgiveness, peacekeeping, violence, the sick, the prisoner, the orphan. And the list could just go on. The Bible depicts humanity as the party who deceives, who betrays, who tricks, who abuses the weak, and ultimately sins against their creator. This is what the Bible positions humanity to be. The Bible depicts God, on the other hand, as the party who has been sinned against and cast aside. But surprisingly, he addresses the guilty party in a way that no one expected. He takes on flesh, comes to earth to display His compassion and His forgiveness toward those selfsame people who betrayed Him so that they might repent of their sin. His forgiveness comes through absorbing the consequences of their sin. He himself, Himself takes on the penalty of that sin. In his body on the cross and gives hope to all by his resurrection. Which points all forgiven people to one day have hope that we too might be resurrected. What sort of God is this? What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Christ is the exact imprint of your creator. He is precisely who you hoped he always would be. Whether you are in the middle of a situation in a garden where you have been tricked. Or whether you are in the middle of a situation where you feel like your feet are being washed and you are being served. It doesn't matter. This is who God is. He is near. He is now. He is present. He is with you. He is, he, this is God. A beautiful picture. It's what we have hoped for. And continuing on in verse 6, he manifests, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Jesus says that he revealed God to the people that were given to him by the Father. Particular people. The prayer becomes a bit narrow at this moment. Now there's a lot of good stuff going on and there's some highlighted things that I think we can all rally around. And I would even say culture in some ways. Those even far from God who wouldn't believe in Christ would rally around washing feet would rally around, hey, remember my sacrifice for you, love. They would rally around someone taking responsibility and acceptance and saying, I am he, let these men go. They would rally around when someone comes with violence that that person would move their hand back and say, no, that is not the way. But that's not the entire prayer. It's not the entire context. It's not all of who Jesus is and what he believes So there were particular people. Our culture would prefer Jesus to extend himself to all people, I think, in ways that meet their needs and in times that they see fit. And I don't think it's just those outside of the four walls of a local church. I think it's also people in the church. I think we would all prefer Jesus to operate in ways that we see fit and that he would pray prayers that would be beneficial to us. Or to meet our needs in the ways that we'd like to be met. But let's remember the guilty party. Humanity is not entitled to line out the rules of redemption. Have you ever, have you ever walked with someone through a very, very difficult betrayal? And maybe it was someone who was abused or someone who was taken advantage of or cheated on. And and the party that is the guilty party certainly does not have the ability, and maybe you've witnessed it, being tried. And it's one of the most disgusting things that we could kind of associate ourselves with. When someone comes back and says, I know I did you wrong, but I'm going to set the tone here, and I'm going to let you know how we're going to make this right. And it's, it's laughable to say it, it sounds silly, but in the moment it's like the most disgusting and painful thing someone could do. Rather than to humbly step back and say, will you forgive me? How can I make amends? And I think we need to remember that God gives to Christ particular men. And it's not our responsibility to determine as the guilty party the road to redemption. And how God is going to save his people back to the garden that they left. That we, through our sin, have found ourselves astray. We have gone the opposite direction. We are not entitled to say, I know how I'm going to make this right again. But rather, God decides how to make things right. And he positions himself as such, as the owner of humanity when selecting these particular 12 men. Would you be the person who would say, uh, Peter should have been disqualified because he was still violent to the end? Would you be the person who would say, how dare he choose a tax collector? And at that time, that was an awful thing to be in that culture, the Jewish culture. How dare God choose these people? There are better people out there. And not only should he not choose 12, he should choose 5,000. Do you think Jesus' capacity was intact to disciple more than 12? Do you think he had the ability within himself to do more, disciple more, here it is, receive more from God and then keep every last one of them? Do you think Christ has the capacity to do so? I think he does. I don't think Jesus is short on ability to follow through with God's plan. So when we see 12 being chosen, one of which was going to be a son of destruction who would one day betray, in those moments I step back as the guilty party and say there's some things I probably cannot have access to. There's some things I just do not understand. Now, we'll get to what about us at some point, but right now we're only in the moments of Jesus and his disciples, and there were particular men that were chosen. And we could go on about that, but I just want to posture us as God being the creator, the chooser, the orchestrator, the redeemer. The powerful, authoritative, sovereign king of the universe. And who am I to say that Peter should not have been chosen? Who am I to say that it should have been more or it should have been less? This is what I am to do. God, you are good. You, just by saving one, have done good to humanity. Because all of us have run away from you. We've not kind of hung out around you. We have despised The commands of God. And run in the opposite direction. So for God to pick up just one. Is a miracle. That should cause. Worship. And humility. So let's keep on reading. Number three. Jesus says that he. Revealed God to men. Who came from. The world. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. These particular men came from a particular place. And let's go back to the garden. And we've been working through with the students here on Wednesday nights. We've been working through Genesis. And what we have found is that as soon as the deceiver came in, and Adam and Eve joined the satanic revolution to overthrow God, Because they thought it was a better idea for them to be in charge. We see what happened. God sent them out of the garden. And let's look at what happens right on the other side of the garden, out in the new world. Immediately, one of the sons kills the other son. I have to imagine Adam and Eve, they already knew the consequence was more that they could bear. But on the other side of the garden, when they have been cast out of the place where God is... One of their boys murders their other boys. And they have to be saying to themselves, had we been in under the reign of God, I would imagine he would still be alive. And then fast forward a little bit more in the book of Genesis. And you find that the whole world of people, they have all gone astray. All of them. So now Adam and Eve have multiplied into many. And none of them seek God, but one finds favor in God's eyes, and his name is Noah. And God, because he is good, though all of humanity is astray, he he saves the world on account of this one. He found favor, not on account of this one, but he found a means that he would work through this one. But on account of his word, that he would one day, he said to the serpent, the great deceiver, one day, Her seed will crush the head of the serpent. And because of that promise, God continues to endure with humanity. And then just on the other side of the flood, once everyone is knocked out and they come back, you would think we as humanity would learn our lesson. But instead, we find a tower being built by the group of men and women that have once again populated the earth. And they are building a tower so that they can make their name great. This is the legacy of the men who were chosen out of the world. These are not worthy men. These are not beautiful men. These are men like you and I. These are are men, these are humans like you and I who come from a legacy that we are not proud of, come from sin and darkness that we are not proud of. God took someone that was an enemy chose these particular men, gave them to Christ. And Jesus says, those men who you gave me out of that world, out of this universe, on this planet that is broken, you chose to give them to me. And I have shown them who you are. Could it be that this is applicable to some, many of us in here, for sure. The context is not speaking about me and you, but later on it does get to us. But what is also true is that you and I come from the same heritage. And you and I are the people who pick up the sword. And I think it's important that we are properly positioned in the story of God. Because do you know what it feels like to feel like you're the one who determines How things should be. Do you know when you look around at church. Or at work. Or in your family. And you say to yourself. I'm not going to have it anymore. and Do you recognize. That you are just one of them. From the same cloth. You have been cut. And these, these men. Were these types of people. Who saw Christ. As wow. You have for some reason chosen. Me and that within them, hopefully, created worship, not a sense of authority with closed handedness and arrogance and pride. Remembering where, we're, where they come from, I think, is important. And then Jesus says, after that, the next one Jesus says that these men, though from the world, belong to God, and this gets a little tricky. I've manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. It's like these men are in another brigade, another army. And God is over here. But somehow, God snatches these men to be here. Jesus says that they were already gods. Man, don't you wish you could just save yourself don't you wish you could save yourself from yourself? Don't you wish you could save other people? And, and not only just physically put people in a better position, but don't you wish that you had the authority, the capacity to save people for all of eternity? Don't you just wish that you could just strike the match in somebody and then they turn around? And have you ever felt like you are the one who is doing that? And if so, we just want to kind of, let's step back. If you wish you could do it and you try to do it, we should just step back and remember these people, these disciples, and all people do not belong to us. And we don't have the capacity to snatch people out of the world and reveal God to them. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus, I have revealed you to the men you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. There is positioning happening all over the place. And you know who is not positioned as authoritative in any of those breaths? Humanity. Man, it'd be cool if I could be up here preaching the gospel and then give a a great sermon and then have a great altar call of people to come to what is an altar we would call a place where you dedicate your life to God. And then it's just a snap. And every time, man, you could count on it. People are just going to be signing up, man. They're going to love this thing. Once they see it, they're going to love it. They're always going to come back. They're going to come to Alpha, which is an evangelistic experience we have here at the church. All sorts of things. And then they don't. What did I do wrong? Did I not pray hard enough? Yeah, you need to pray more. And if you pray more, God's going to use you. The problem might be your morality. Maybe you need to be more righteous. And if you could be more righteous and God would use you more, yours they were. And you gave them to me. Out of the world, Christ and the Father have an agreement and an arrangement that we are not a part of. We're just not in the middle. There was no moment where and. The guy who. Man there's just an arrangement of the father giving. And Jesus keeping. And it is the most comforting. Comforting thought. To those who are Christ's. And that doesn't make me say. How in the world could God ever not every single person change them, revolutionize their lives and make them better? You know what it makes me do? God, how could you even save one? Because all of us left that garden. And within all of us, there is a betrayer. And all of us were in the army against you in the satanic revolution, to overthrow your earth and universe as if it's not yours. We should be humble when we come to the word of God. And when we read verse six, we should think to ourselves, God, thank you for giving many to Christ. And yes, it should compel us To do what? To tell the good news of Christ. Not to be better, more moral, righteous people. Yes, to become more Christ like, but we recognize we are not the conduit of salvation on this earth. Christ is the keeper, God is the giver. This is good news. John 6, 37, Jesus says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Let that sink in for a second. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, so every single one of them, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. I am grateful that I serve a God who is so sure. I will lose nothing. There is no person, there is no height, no depth that can get in the way of this giving and keeping. I've come to do one thing, Jesus says. It's to receive what my Father has given me and never, ever lose it. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Number five, Jesus commends these particular men for keeping God's word. And so there is, here is the participation Of those men. This certainly does not mean. That the disciples were free from shortcomings. I mean. Look at Philip. Hey if you show me God. I'll be satisfied. (laughs) That brother had a shortcoming. And look at Peter. He's picking up swords. And cutting people's faces apart. He had some shortcomings. But. They kept God's word. They believed. Jesus is who he said he is. Revealed, God revealed to these men is Christ. They kept his word by believing Christ to be who Christ said he was. That he was sufficient. That he was the redeemer. That everything began and ends with him. That Christ is on the throne. This is what they did well. They put their faith and they projected their faith upon him. And this is what we are called to do well. And when we are we are commended as followers of Jesus when we project our faith into who he is. This is the commendation. Not our personal holiness and righteousness and figure and then our guilt and our shame. Yes, there is room for all of that in scripture and it deals with these things precisely. But here, what we are working on today, God, you know, is commending or Christ is commending these men for keeping God's word. And God revealed to them is Christ. And they have believed in Christ. Lastly, Jesus claims that these truths for those who had yet to believe or who were yet to be born, who would in time believe. In other words, in verse 20... I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Is there a responsibility upon these particular disciples that Jesus was praying for? Yes. What is their responsibility? To preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus includes us now in his prayer. And so verses 6 through 19, we find him praying for his disciples. In verses 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 26, we find him praying for us. Did you know that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you? Is that a comforting thought to you? That is beautiful. He said, th- he said it this way about us, about you, about me. Father... I do not ask for these men only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Those men were faithful to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and on down from generation to generation. History Shows that there were faithful people to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And here we sit today in answer to the prayer of John chapter 17 verse 20. That God gave particular people to Christ. That those people would one day hear the word through these disciples. And God I pray that they too would be, you would be revealed and they would be kept There's good news for us today. There's good news for us today. So a good a good question as we close is this. If Jesus is who he said he was, do you think his prayers are answered with a resounding yes every time? It's a good it really is a good question. I want to say it again. If Jesus is who he said he was. Do you think every single one of his prayers is answered by his Father with a resounding yes? Because if that is true, there are deep implications for you and I. And there are deep implications for those who don't know God and who may never know God. Jesus is praying for his disciples and then for those who would one day believe in Christ and those people also would be kept, guarded, and sure. There's good news for all of us. Or do you believe that maybe Jesus is refused by his Father? Do you think? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, do Christ's prayers go unanswered by God? I would like to encourage you to believe that every one of Jesus' prayers have been and will be answered. More still, I want to remind you that the Bible tells us that he, Jesus, is currently sitting on his throne. As we are gathered here today, the Bible tells us to believe that Jesus is currently on his throne at the right hand of his father who he revealed doing what interceding for us to the father the john 17 prayer continues on and the john 17 prayer is still being answered with a resounding yes More still than the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and prays for the people that God has given him that he surely will keep. Till the end to eternal life. This is the God we serve. And this is what Jesus continues to do on our behalf. The John 17 prayer continues on. Romans 8.34 tells us this and then immediately follows in verse 35. So 8.34 tells us that this is where he is today. And then 35, he says this. It's like, it's like this. Now what, basically? This is what Paul says like, with that in mind, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus? You think, you think soldiers with swords? and lanterns, and betrayers, and comp- you, think, you think they could separate us from the love of Christ? I have to picture, I am He, and He guards us. I have to picture that all of us who are in Christ cannot be separated from Him under any circumstance. And look, do we mess it up? We mess it up. And sometimes we come out with Swords. And it's called sin, and we find ourselves in places of, how did I get back here? And I have to just imagine Christ not rejecting us and sending us away, but reminding us that everyone who comes to me, that the Father has brought me, I will accept him. And I will never push away. I know you got swords, and I know you cut people's ears off, but Christ keeps. This is the good news of the gospel. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate? Shall tribulation or distress? Man, do you have distress in your life? You have hardship? You have complexity in your life? How awful is your marriage? How lonely are you as a single person? Is your job the worst? What's going to separate you from Christ? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And we know the answer to all of these things, don't we? Nothing will separate Jesus from the people who God gave to him. Jesus keeps all that the Father gives. God gives, Jesus keeps. Let's stand up and pray. I guess we can, uh, let's sing one song as well. I'll, I'll pray. And then I'd like to just sing a song of worship. For those, of you, for those of you who believe God has given you to Christ and that Christ is keeping you, an appropriate response is to worship Him. And then to those of you who are unsure as to whether or not you were ever given, and some of this is just confusing, an appropriate response to hearing God's Word and the good news of Jesus Christ would be to repent of sin and to worship him. And if there is, we would say the Holy Spirit works in people to regenerate them, to make them new, to resurrect them, to transfer them from the army of darkness into the army of Light. And there's no way that one could ever, and what? whose responsibility, and how can, and is it what I say, and what I do, and is it because I'm a good person? No, 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 to all of that, the answer is no. God, to maybe one of you, or some of you in here, right now, God has, you have always belonged to God, as verse 6 tells us. And God has given you to Christ to be kept for all of eternity, and this is salvation. It has nothing to do with works, but it has to do with God, you being God's, and Christ keeping you till the last day to raise you up. So what I'm not going to do is say raise your hand or come to the front. But what I will do, if you have sat under the preaching of God's word this morning, and you sense. Christ keeping you, there's a moment in your chair of prayer, of repentance, and worship. And that's another reason we can finish in worship. And if you believe that God maybe is revealing his son to you today, man, we'd love to chat with you up front after and pray for you. And make a space to talk just for a moment. But if not, just come back next week. Let's pray, and then let's worship. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we are so grateful. We're grateful that no one snatches your people out of your hand. God, we are grateful that you have saved any of us. God, that you have invested yourself into this world. You've come in human form and likeness, to take upon yourself the consequence for the sin that we rightly deserved. God, we worship you for that. We are grateful for that. God give us strength to believe that the, the prayers of Jesus that we see in John 17:6 are answered, and the prayers of Jesus in John 17:20 about those who would believe one day are also answered. And God, remind us that your Son sits on the throne, even still praying for us, that we would be kept. And God, as a result of all of that good news, God, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here. I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Well, let's sing it together, Lord. Lord, I need you. sin runs deep. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. comes my way when I cannot stand out fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay to so teach my song to write. this morning, we recognize our great need. God, we are a people in need of your grace. And God, we're thankful for you and the work that you've done for us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.